Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word that we have the privilege uh, to open up this morning. Thank you for the truth that we've already sung. Uh, thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence with us today. Lord, I ask that uh, whatever it is that your people need to hear today, that you would open up their, their eyes, their ears, and their heart to hear it and to see it. And ask that you would, um, that you would use me uh, to, to speak your word to your people. Because I am not sufficient, but your word is sufficient and your spirit is sufficient. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, uh, or if not, just feel free to follow along. We're in Psalm 37 this morning. And we don't know much about the background of Psalm 37, but we know that in this situation, the righteous were being afflicted by the wicked in the land of Israel. And the psalmist is writing to God's people saying that they are not, don't give up the good life. Don't give up on the good life. And the good life is a life that is the life that God calls us to. It's a life that trusts God, that trusts that His Word is good, and that it is worth following. You see, the Christian life is, is, is a life of it is a life of that is called to suffer. Um, and yet, even though we know that it is a life that uh, calls us to suffering, there is joy in the midst of that suffering. And it is a life that is worth it in the end, as we'll see this morning. So follow along with me, beginning in verse, uh, in verse 1. And uh, we're going to jump around a little bit here in this psalm. So God says in Psalm 37, Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong. For they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way, by the person who carries out evil plans. And then skipping ahead to verse 27. Turn away from evil, do what is good, and settle permanently. For the Lord loves justice and will not abandon his faithful ones. They are kept safe forever. But the children of the wicked will be destroyed. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it permanently. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. His tongue speaks what is just. The instruction of his God is in his heart. His steps do not falter. The wicked one lies in wait for the righteous and intends to kill him. The Lord will not leave him in the power of the wicked one or allow him to be condemned when he is judged. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will watch when the wicked are destroyed. I have seen a wicked, violent person, well-rooted, like a flourishing native tree. Then I passed by and noticed he was gone. I searched for him, but he could not be found. Watch the blameless and observe the upright. For the person of peace will have a future, but transgressors will all be eliminated. 
the future of the wicked will be destroyed. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord, their refuge in a time of distress. The Lord helps and delivers them. He will deliver them from the wicked and will save them because they take refuge in him. Amen. This is God's word. It doesn't take much for us to give up on the good life. It doesn't take much. Uh, you could be sitting in traffic uh, out on Winton Road here and, and the light goes from red to green and because you're a millisecond too late, the person behind you lays on the horn. Uh, and I, in that moment, I am really tempted to give up on the good life. Or maybe your three-year-old has decorated their, the house with crayon for the third or fourth time this week. In that moment, you are tempted to give up on the good life. Or maybe you, you're, you're feeling nagged because your, your parents are you know, reminding you to clean up your room or to, or to do the dishes and uh, it just feels like they're so, they're so hard on you. <laughs> uh, and it's tempting in that moment to give up on the good life. And you may say to yourself, well, those are small things. You know, those are just everyday occurrences. You know, no big deal. But there's also the really big things. There's the big things that tempt us to give up on the good life. Maybe you got notice from your employer that your job will no longer be waiting for you uh, on Monday morning and you don't know where your next paycheck's going to come from. Or maybe you are watching a parent that you love dearly slowly fade away. Uh, their memory is being lost to the point where they don't even know who you are anymore. And it's tempting to give up on the good life. Or maybe there's a child that you've invested in for years, your, your son or daughter, and even though you, you've, you've taken them to church, you've prayed with them, uh, you've loved them, you've tried to, to show Christ to them, they don't, they don't trust in Jesus. They're, they're, they're going in a, in a direction that you, you, you wish so badly that they, would, that they would hear what you're saying and that they would, they would trust in Christ, but, but they're not. And you're tempted in that moment to give up on the good life. See, as we already heard, the audience in this psalm was tempted to give up on the good life, especially as they saw the wicked prosper. And the message that the psalmist gives to God's people is the same message that we need to hear this morning. Brothers and sisters, don't give up on the good life. And there's three big reasons we can see from this text that we are called not to give up on the good life. First, because God will make you permanent. Second, because God's judgment is the only one that counts. And third, because God will satisfy your heart. So first, brothers and sisters, do not give up on the good life because God will make you permanent. You see, all of us long for permanence. We all long for stability. We long for a world and a home and a city that lasts, that, that is not affected by, by death and decay and, and the curse of sin. And God knows this. He knows that this is the longing of our heart for permanence, for stability. 
And all around us, we, we see this change, this instability. We, we see friends and family who, who change to the point where uh, they're not the same person anymore. And, and you wonder, what happened to them? Uh, or neighbors move. Maybe neighbors that you've invested in for years, and all of a sudden, they're gone. And this relationship that, that you had, that you thought was going to be there for a while, is no more. Uh, I remember last year when uh, Curran and, and Zeke and I moved uh, to Rochester. It was like three huge life events converging at one, at one time in our life. We were moving to a new state. Uh, I was starting a new job and we had just had a baby. And so you just felt the pressure of, of those, those three things hitting us at once. And you know, our life just felt chaotic and unstable. Um, and and you know, it just reminds us how how fragile just our existence in this in this fallen world can feel sometimes, um, and of course, uh, death itself is the the biggest and strongest reminder that this this world is subject to decay and impermanence. But God knows that we long for permanence, and He promises this to His people. Look again at verse 37. It says that the person of peace will have a future. God wants to give his people a future that lasts. Or verse 28, it says that his faithful ones are kept safe, not for a little bit, but forever. They are kept safe forever. And then verse 29, it says the righteous will dwell in the land permanently. And so again, we don't know the exact circumstances, but we know that because of the life of the wicked, uh, the righteous are feeling insecure in the land that God has given them. And God is reminding them, I will make you permanent. I will make you dwell securely in the land. See, God knows your heart's longing for permanence. And uh, we are reminded that uh, even though God has called us as believers in Christ to a life of suffering and change, that in the end He will provide a lasting city. Uh, we read in Hebrews chapter 11, we read that by faith Abraham stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And we see there in that text how, how the author of Hebrews is contrasting a life of living in tents uh, to a city that has foundations, whose builder is God. You see, a city that is built by God is going to last forever. And so even a house in this world that is made of the strongest stone and the strongest materials is, is basically like a, a camping tent compared to the home that we will have in the new creation when Christ comes again. We have a city that is permanent that will last, brothers and sisters. And so don't give up on the good life. Because we see in this psalm how the righteous are contrasted with the wicked, who are, even though they look like they're stable, even though they look like they have everything together, they will not last. 
in a, in a very striking example, my wife and I just finished watching a, a series on Netflix about uh, the billionaire Jeffrey Epstein. And uh, as most of you probably heard about in the news, he was a billionaire who had multiple properties around the world. Uh, it looked as though he could do almost anything, that he could get away with anything. Uh, and it turned out he was a very wicked man. Uh, he he uh, uh, molested hundreds of, of young women and girls. And so, you know, very, very sick, twisted person. And it, if you had looked at him in, in some, in those few moments, you could have seen, you could have thought to yourself, man, this guy has got it made. You know, nothing, nothing can touch him. You know, like the psalmist says, People could say, well, he's a flourishing native tree. You know, he's never going to be moved. And of course, we do know that uh, by most accounts, he, you know, he, was, uh, he committed suicide in his jail cell. And so this man who looked as though he had everything uh, ended up having nothing in the end and he could not escape justice. And that, that's kind of a cut and dry example. And, and we do know that there are examples of, of wicked people in this world who seem like they die in peace in their beds. And yet we know from the rest of Scripture that you cannot escape the God of cosmic justice. Uh, he will find you out in the end. And that is an encouragement for those of us who are oppressed by the wicked that God uh, knows the righteous and he will settle them permanently in this world even though the wicked oppress them in this world. So, don't give up on the good life because God will make you permanent. But second, don't give up on the good life because God's judgment is the only one that counts. All of us long for justice uh, even in small ways, you, you, you imagine uh, you're, if you're trying to explain your perspective on something to someone, you're just trying to you know, have a, a, a basic discussion with someone and they twist your words or, or they don't understand where you're coming from uh, and you feel like they're not giving you a, a fair shake at explaining something or sharing your perspective and, and that kind of even little injustice, it, it grates at us. We, we feel in our gut that this is wrong, that they, they don't understand me, or they don't know what I mean. God knows what you mean. He knows what you're trying to say when you're, when you're speaking. And of course, we, we have this world of social media in which it's so easy to be, to be labeled a, you know, a word, whether you know, conservative, liberal, Marxist, feminist. There's, there's so many labels now that, that people will, will place on you to try to define you, and that feels hurtful. And God knows that. He knows your heart and that you're trying to speak for what you believe is true. And that is the world that we live in. And God knows this. And we read in verse 28 in this psalm that the Lord loves justice. That's strong language, that the Lord loves justice. All of us should want to know what it is that God loves. And it tells us here that God loves justice. And because the Lord loves justice, he will not abandon his faithful ones. It says in verse 33, The Lord will not leave the righteous in the power of the wicked or allow him to be condemned when he is judged. 
Now, brothers and sisters, there are two major ways that, that this verse plays out in our lives, that the Lord will not allow us to be condemned when we are judged. First of all, as we've already said, there are people who unjustly accuse us of wrongdoing. And of course, when that happens, it, it, is, it is hurtful, and it, it brings up a visceral reaction in us. Uh, I still remember when I was uh, just beginning sixth grade in Lexington, Kentucky, and my family had just gone through a pretty horrible uh, divorce situation. It was a time of great upheaval in, in our lives. And uh, I remember I was bullied in school. And uh, I remember sitting in the counselor's office, and the counselor basically said, well, you know, the bullying was also your fault. You know, that, that's what it felt like to me. And I just remember feeling so lonely in that moment that no one seemed to understand where I was coming from or, or saw where I was. But God saw me, and God sees you, even in those moments when you feel alone and when you feel unjustly accused. And brothers and sisters, there's a second way that uh, we can be accused in this life. You see that we have an enemy that the scriptures call Satan, who is the accuser of God's people. And so, even though you have been bought with the blood of Christ, even though you've been placed from a place of condemnation to a place of justification, and you know, at least intellectually, that God loves you and is caring for you, there's still that voice that comes up, either from your own heart, your own inner critic, or from Satan, that says, you're not enough. God doesn't love you. You've gone too far. And that voice, over time, can destroy our soul. And brothers and sisters, I know there are areas of our life that uh, are sinful. There are many uh, things that we need to repent of, and, and God is, needs to grow us. And, and yet we cannot forget, brothers and sisters, that you are adopted children of God. You are adopted children of God. That is your status in this world. And uh, if you were to uh, you know, just be walking down the street and someone were to come up to your son or daughter and just start berating them and shaming them and accusing them, uh, what would be your reaction in that moment? Uh, if, if it were me, I would be really tempted to uh, exchange strong words and even possibly blows with, with this person. So, so how do you feel, how, how do you, what do you think that God feels when his children are accused? Uh, he defends us. He defends his children. And you, brothers and sisters, are his children. And so God will not allow you to be condemned when Satan or your own inner critic judges you. He reminds us that I have taken care of your sin on the cross. I am taking care of you. And so brothers and sisters, don't give up on the good life because God's judgment is the only one that counts. But lastly, don't give up on the good life because God will satisfy your heart. Uh, in Psalm 37, it's uh, verse 3. It's, it's uh, probably the most famous verse in this psalm. Uh, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, for he will give you the desires of your heart. 
And of course, we know that this verse has often been taken out of context to mean that if you just do enough religious things, or if you if you pray enough, God's going to give you, you know, a pickup truck or or your dream home. And and we know that that's not what this verse is saying. And yet. What it is telling us is that God knows the deepest longings and desires of your heart. You see, it's not as though we need to turn the knob of our desires down. It's that we need to turn them up to the right things. You see, God knows our hearts and is able to give us more than we could ask or imagine in Him. Uh, There's this famous quote uh, from author C.S. Lewis, and and many of you have probably heard it before, but this is from his essay called The Weight of Glory. And in this quote, he talks about the the desires of our heart. And And he says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And so what Lewis is saying there is that it's not as though our desires are too strong for God to handle. That God's saying, you want too much from me. He's saying that you don't don't want enough. You You don't know the feast that I can give you. Uh, this makes me think of Isaiah chapter 55 and this really uh, evocative language that uh, Isaiah writes. And uh, this is God speaking through Isaiah. He says, Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Why do you spend silver on what is not food? And your wages on what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And you will enjoy the choicest of foods. I want you all to think of, you know, the most amazing meal that you, you've ever had. I remember last year, uh, Kern and I uh, just went out for a special date to Texas Day Brazil Steakhouse, which is at, uh, you know, close to the University of Rochester. And now I apologize if, if you're vegetarian or if you're vegan, <laughs> but, um, you know, this, this place is like, you know, filled with like the choicest of meats and, and you can eat as much as you want and they go around to your table and it's filet mignon and flank steak and they had this creamy lobster bisque with you know cheese filled biscuits it's like most amazing amazing meal I've ever had uh, and that that's the kind of feast it's a good picture of the feast that God wants to give us you know he's he's not God is not stingy uh, we can't outgive God um, it is it is the feast that he, he wants to give us See, God knows your heart. He knows what you long for. And He promises, even though there is suffering in this world, even though there is great suffering in this world, He will satisfy it. I remember one time... uh, just a personal illustration. I was walking down a, a street at a park in my in my hometown uh, in in Michigan, and I remember thinking to myself. I think I was in I was in high school at this time, and I I remember. Uh, 
you know, thinking to myself, I really hope Jesus doesn't come back before I get married. Like, like I really want to get married, uh, you know, before Jesus comes back. And it, it came to me, and uh, you know, after thinking that, well, I really, if if I if I think that, that that really means I don't believe that God can satisfy my heart, and that what God can give me, even if it's not marriage. In this world, he can still give me the desires of my heart. And, and the reason for that is that everything good that we long for in this world, whether it's marriage or children or um, you know, even, a, even a good home, they are all pointers to the goodness of God and to the richness of God and his grace. They are all meant to be signposts that point us to the source of all goodness and love. And that's God himself. And brothers and sisters, if we don't get this, if we don't truly believe in the depths of our being that God can and will satisfy our heart, we will not do the ministry that God has called us to do. Because it's too hard. You know, why would I do difficult deeds of mercy and justice if I didn't believe that God could satisfy my heart? Or, or why would I quote-unquote deal with difficult people, you know, whatever, whatever that means for you, if I didn't believe that God can and will satisfy my heart? And so my prayer for, for all of us here today is that we would know this, that God's, the good life that God has called you to is worth it in the end, that he will satisfy you. Um... I remember, uh, we remember the passage, uh, there's this really interesting exchange in Matthew chapter 19. Uh, and, and you remember, this is where uh, Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler. And as you remember, Jesus says to this young man, uh, if you would really, if you want to be perfect, sell all of your possessions and give to the poor. And this young man goes away sorrowful, the text says, because he had great he had great wealth and possessions. And Jesus turns to his disciples who are watching this and he says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It is nearly impossible. And Peter, <laughs> it's so funny, Peter is like dumbstruck by this. He's like, what? Like, the rich can't enter the kingdom of God? Because he's part of a culture that says, if you're wealthy, if you have a lot of stuff, it must mean that God is pleased with you and that, and that he, he likes what you're doing. And Jesus totally flips that and says, that's, that's not where God's blessing comes from. And, and Peter, you know, you can almost imagine the, the wheels, the calculating wheels turning in his head as he, you know, he thinks about, you know, what he's given up for Jesus. You know, he's, think, he's given up, uh, you know, successful fishing business, you know, on, on, on the sea. Uh, he's given up the comfort of, of staying in his hometown. Uh, he, they're being persecuted by Pharisees now or trying to kill Jesus and them. And, and he says to Jesus, we have given up everything to follow you. What then will, will there be left for us in the end? And so Peter is, is asking this question, is, is this life that Jesus called us to, is it, is it worth it? And you remember Jesus' response. He doesn't say to Peter, well, Peter, you shouldn't have had those desires in the first place. I mean, you know, why, why were you wanting those things? He, he doesn't say that. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 19. 
He says, Truly, I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So Jesus' response is amazing. He says, Peter, you can't begin to imagine what you're going to receive beginning in this, in this life, but also in the world to come. So he's saying to Peter, and he's saying to us, don't give up on the good life, because whatever it is that you've lost, and Jesus knows what you have lost, what you've given up for the sake of the kingdom, and what, what pain you have suffered in this world. Remember, we worship a Savior who, in, who went from a place of permanence to a place of impermanence. For our sake, to give us that stability, and to give us that justice and the deepest desires of our heart. So don't, don't give up on the good life. Jesus is calling us to suffer for the kingdom, and yet it is a suffering that is worth it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that we have just heard. We thank you that your word is honest, that you know better than we do the deepest desires of our heart. You know exactly what it is that we have wept over this week, what we have lost, what we think we have lost. And so, Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would remind us of your goodness, that you would remind us that you are going to make it all worth it in the end. Lord, thank you that you, you know our sorrows. And I pray that my brothers and sisters would know that as well. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.